The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome, welcome to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on the 16th day of April, 2023. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us as always, and he's right across the way. I'm happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Glad you could be with us uh, as always, great show lined up for you tonight. As I always say, I enjoy bringing my baseball cards to life for you guys, and we're going to do that tonight. Leading off, we'll speak with a star of the 1984 World Series for the San Diego Padres and uh, the, the owner of a pretty solid Major League career, Kurt Bavak, will, will join us. Next after that, we will welcome in former catcher for the Giants, Astros, and a couple of other clubs Played in uh, really what was a great era in Major League Baseball. Jack Hyatt will be with us. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy the show tonight on GBB. As always, great show, great people, some great sports talk and memories up ahead tonight. As always, I want to ask you about social media. Obviously, you're a member of social media. We're out there on Facebook. Check that out. Give us a like. You can follow us on LinkedIn. On Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk, and you can follow me on Twitter at B Donahue WGBB, and all past shows on the station can be heard on the website at www.am1240wgbb.com. You can listen to them whenever you want. So uh, we got that going for you. So check that out. Well, our first guest, he was an infielder from '71 to '85. Notable, as I said, for his performance during the 1984 World Series when he hit two home runs, hit 412 as the Padres designated hitter against the very tough Detroit Tigers. He also played for the Mayaguez Indians in the Puerto Rican Professional League. We'll ask him about that. And uh, in my book, uh, a real colorful guy, a, a, a great baseball man, a great baseball name. We'd like to welcome in now Kurt Bavakwa. Kurt, good evening. Bill, how are you? Thank you for the invitation. We're doing wonderful here, Kurt, and I hope you are doing the same. Everything is great out here except for the weather. Okay, yeah, well, we're warming up a little bit in the east. We're getting, you know, towards the springtime. Uh, I spent a day out at City Field earlier this week, and it was in the 80s. uh, Just a marvelous day for baseball. So we'll see what happens uh, in the ensuing weeks. But I want to ask you, Kurt, as a kid, who were your sports heroes and your favorite teams? Well, I was a Yankee fan growing up. Uh, okay. My hero was Mickey Mantle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in Miami Beach. And even though the Orioles had spring training down there, I really wasn't aware of how baseball worked at a young age. And I just, uh, I just kind of uh, leaned towards the game of the week and watching the Yankees most of the time. And, um, I also liked the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, 
I'm dating myself a little bit. They had, <laughs> they had already moved to L.A., but I like the Brooklyn Dodgers hat. Right. The classic, uh, yeah. Because, yeah, it is. It's one of my, it's still my, one of my favorite hats. I have it in my collection. I wear it, uh, you know, when I want to uh, shock people because everybody <laughs> knows how much I hate the Dodgers. Right. <laughs> but it, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun hat to wear. I get a lot of comments when I wear it and, but I, but I love it. I really do. Sure. Okay. Now you were almost a Met. I was. Uh, I was drafted number two by the Mets one year, and uh, they brought me into uh, Shea Stadium. And uh, I actually watched my uh, high school teammate pitch the day I came in uh, to uh, to talk to the Mets about possibly signing with them. Uh, the problem with the, with uh, Steve being there was he was pitching against the Mets, and it was Steve Carlton. Uh oh. Yeah, yeah, ne- never good. Yeah, <laughs> lefty. Yeah, we don't want to face yeah, him. Steve, no. had a, Steve had a pretty good career. Yes, he, he had did. a pretty good career. <laughs> now you you uh, became a utility player while in the Reds farm system. What led you towards that role? Well, it, you know, I don't know if uh, if I really became a utility player in the farm system, what happened was, uh, was they made me into a third baseman. Okay. And I was, when I broke in with the Reds, when I originally signed with them, I came up and through their farm system the first year and a half, two years as a second baseman. And I played, I played primarily second base, Mm -hmm. but they wanted to make me a third baseman because I think they had, uh, they actually had the idea of trading Lee May, which the the blockbuster trade did happen uh, the following year after they, they did that. Uh, they were going to trade Lee May to the Houston Astros uh, in a package deal and get Joe Morgan and move Tony Perez from third base to first base. Uh, you know, I had had a couple of pretty good springs with the Reds. And I think I showed him enough to warrant a look. And, uh, you know, it was just bad timing. I mean, mm-hmm. Bobby Tolan ruptured his Achilles tendon. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was the one that the, uh, the Cleveland Indians asked for when the Reds went to them and tried to get Buddy Bradford. Because, <coughs> excuse me. That's all right. Hang in there, Kurt. All right, I'm back. boy. Boy, don't you hate it when you swallow and it goes down the wrong pipe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they, they needed to replace Bobby Tolan, and uh, Buddy Bradford, I would I would think... Uh, was the best center fielder out there that was available. And um, he was playing for the Cleveland Indians at the time, and they traded me for um, – that was probably one of the most disappointing times of my career, it, mainly because I had spent four years in the Reds minor league system, and I was really looking forward to 
to be in a Cincinnati Red and a member of the Big Red Machine. Right. And I was, I was shocked when, uh, when Vern Rapp came up and, and told me that, uh, that I had been traded because I was in AAA. I was in Indianapolis. It was right after I got sent to the minor leagues in spring of, uh, 71. And, uh, I went, I reported to Wichita where, um, I stayed for about a month and then I went up to the big leagues. Gotcha. Yeah. There, there's a great name for you folks, buddy Bradford, uh, good major league career, buddy Bradford. Now, uh, you, you, uh, on Cleveland, you back up Paul Shaw. No, Cle- Paul Shaw was with, uh, Kansas City. Kansas City, right. That, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Ed Kirkpatrick, uh, that, that deal too. True. Uh, right. Nelson Bryles. Right. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was two years after that. Uh, when I went to Cleveland, I started to play right away. Alvin Dark was the manager. Uh, they had a, a second base shortstop combination of Eddie Leon and Jack Heideman. Mm-hmm. And Jack was, uh, uh, you know, a great fielder, uh, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a great offensive player. And I think they were looking for more offense. Uh, and I, I, you know, we had some pretty good players on that club. I mean, we had Chris Chambliss and, uh, Craig Nettles and Ray Fossey. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we had a pretty good team. And, and when I got there, they, uh, Alvin put me in the lineup right away. Uh, I played second base. Uh, they slid Eddie Leon from second over to shortstop because he could play both positions. And it was Nettles, uh, Leon, myself, and uh, Chris Chambliss in the infield for a period of time. And then, and then Alvin went and got fired. Yeah. And when he got fired, uh, you know, managers like to bring in their own people or they like to make their own decisions. And, uh, when Espermani came in to manage, he, uh, uh, he kind of, uh, you know, utilized me, you know, not the way Alvin was doing it. Mm-hmm. And he kind of made it difficult for a young player, uh, because you need to get at bats at the major league level in order to be successful. Right. That's the- why they wait to call young guys up and they just put them in the lineup and let them play. But if you, uh, if you put a guy in the lineup uh, that's a younger player and you take him in and out of the lineup all the time and you pinch hit him and do things that he's not used to doing, the chances of him being successful, especially in a pinch hitting role, are uh, are not very good. And that's what happened. And then I got traded to Kansas City, and you were talking about Paul Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I my first year in Kansas City, which was 73, um I had the most at bats uh in my major league career that year in Kansas City. And uh I put together a, a pretty nice year. I played different positions. I spelled Cookie Rojas at second, uh who I just saw. Uh love Cookie, haven't seen him in quite a few years. Yeah, we've had Cookie on the I show. Good baseball man, yeah. He he really is. He's a he's a great guy. And Cookie and I played not only in Kansas City together, but I know you mentioned Mayaguez, but we also played uh, for a year down in Caracas together 
in uh, in winter ball in Venezuela. Uh, we were teammates on the Leones uh, one year mm-hmm. uh, before I even got to Kansas City in 1970. So we. You know, I put together a pretty good year there, and then, and then things started getting weird. Uh, at least for me, uh, Jack McKeon was the manager. Uh, the next thing I know, I'm going to the Pittsburgh Pirates. That wasn't a good fit for me. Uh, I absolutely loved every single one of the players, and for for that matter, management, the staff, and everybody else. But I just wasn't used uh, in a proper manner there in, uh, for me to be successful. You know, they had Richie Hebner at third base. Uh, right. It, it, it was kind of weird. I, I don't know why they got me. I wasn't a shortstop. Uh, I hadn't played shortstop hardly at all, uh, not only in my amateur career, but even in my professional career, I only had a couple of games uh, that I played at shortstop or was inserted into that position in the minor league level. Uh, we had a guy by the name of Frank Traveris. Yep, uh, another former Met. That, uh, yeah. Exactly. That was a shortstop. Um, I'm trying to think uh, the second baseman. Rennie Stennett? Rennie Stennett. Yeah. Yeah. It was Rennie Stennett. Of course, uh they had Pops and, Pops. Uh, and Al Oliver. Uh, Al was mostly an outfielder at that time. Uh, and we had Ricky Zisk in the outfield and, uh, and Gene Kleins. Right. So, you know, that was a pretty solid team. I mean, they, you know, they had won the World Series in 71 and, uh, and competed for National League Championship in 72 and 73. And, you know, 74 just didn't work out. And then uh, the next thing I know, Danny Murtaugh called me into his office one day. He said, you know, I, I think I'm going to tell you something that's really going to make you happy. And I said, what's that, Skip? And he goes, uh, you're going back to Kansas City. And, boy, I was happy. Yeah. I, I was happy. The, the only problem with it was that it was almost halfway through the season, and I had only gotten about 40 at-bats. And when I went back to Kansas City, they put me right in the lineup. Uh, even though they had a young kid that they had just sent back to AAA that wasn't working out too well at the time by the name of George Brett. Uh, and they called George back up uh, towards the latter part of the year. And then I got purchased by the Milwaukee Brewers that winter. So, uh, you know, I, I've got my own zip code. Uh, I've been on on <laughs> yeah. quite a few ball clubs, and uh, you know though that the time in Pittsburgh uh, was probably probably at least one of the toughest times that I ever had in baseball. Only from the professional standpoint, it wasn't from the personal standpoint because um, I just talked to Al Oliver the other day on the phone, and. I love him like a brother, and I, I there's a guy who much. can hit the ball, right, Kurt? Oh, oh man, what a hitter! Yeah, and and I can't tell you how much respect and uh, and admiration uh, that I had, not only for Al, but also for 
for Stargell and Parker. Mm-hmm. Those guys were such great people and great guys to have on a team. And, boy, Willie Stargell was such an instigator, and there's a lot of people that don't know about it. But he antagonized people, and he loved when guys like me joined the club because, you know, I like to mix it up and, and stir it a little bit. Yeah. But the the real pot stirrer was pots in the background. <laughs> you know, he'd be sitting back there. Everybody else would be doing everything. But he was the one that kind of instigated the whole thing. <laughs> and it, it I, I learned that about two or three months in. And I tell you what, we had so much fun with that ball club. And, boy, those guys could hit. Uh, they were they used the biggest bats I've ever seen up until that time. That's the lumber company, uh, even, Kurt. Yeah, the, oh the, my goodness. the Pittsburgh Lumber Company, yeah. Well, I tell you what, they didn't call them that just as somebody that came up with a nickname. They had special bat bags that had to be made because most of the bats, with the exception of Traveris and I believe it was Mendoza, were... 36, 37 inches, and 35 to 37 or 38 ounces. I mean, you walk into a major league dugout nowadays, you're not going to find a bat that's that big. No. Or no. anywhere near that big. 34, 35. The, bat, the, the wood's different now. Uh, it's more condensed. Uh, it's harder. And you don't, you didn't, you don't have to order heavy bats now in order to get the denser wood because the wood's already dense and it's condensed also. So right. that's a whole other show. Right. Uh, we're talking about how you, you know, how you needed to order heavy bats in order to get good wood back in the day. But it, it, it was so much fun playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then, and then I got an opportunity a couple of days after, or a couple of years after that to play with, uh, Doc Ellis and, uh, and Al Oliver in Texas and also Richie Disc. That's so right. So we all yeah. kind of came full circle and, uh, we ended up with the Texas Rangers for a couple of years and, uh, that was fun stuff too. I, I really enjoyed that and, and then I, and then the trade came that I got traded with Hargrove, uh, to, uh, to the San Diego Padres in the winters of, uh, a 78 and we came to, uh, came to spring training at 79 to Yuma and it was with the exception of a quick stop in Pittsburgh in 1980. I remember I sent, spent the rest of my career, uh, here in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, 82, you went back there. We got Kurt Bavacqua on the show tonight and, uh, of course we're going to talk about the famous, uh, verbal feud. Kurt, we'll call it that. <laughs> with okay. the with the Hall of Famer, the famous Tommy Lasorda. I've, I've met him in Cooperstown many times. Uh, seems comes off like like a gentleman, but if you go to YouTube, it's a different story, folks. Now, <laughs> you, just go to YouTube and Google or Google uh, Kurt Bavakwa Tommy Lasorda. And you'll get the laugh of your life. Uh, tell us uh, what what brought this on, Kurt. Well, we were playing the Dodgers uh, up in Dodger Stadium 
in uh, in 1982, and you know we were starting to become a pretty decent ball club. And when I say we, I'm talking about the San Diego Padres. Mm-hmm. Right. And our, you know, our one of our natural rivals were the Los Angeles Dodgers because they were in the National League West and they were one of the better teams. Mm-hmm. So we had good games against them and competitive games. But they weren't uh, they weren't afraid to, to knock people down. It was like a lot of other teams during that era. Uh, you know, if a player swung too hard or if he had a home run and sh- showed up the pitcher, uh, you knew the, the next hitter or that hitter the next time he came to the plate was going to get knocked down. Well, Broderick Perkins hit a go-ahead home, home run one night uh, at Dodger Stadium after we had tied the game in the eighth inning. As a matter of fact, it was my double that tied it. Uh, and that's why I was so worked up. But Perk hit a home run. And the next hitter in the lineup, Joe LaFay, right. got hit in the head. So me being me, I started out of the dugout and was intercepted at the first baseline by Joe West. And LaFay's laying on the ground, needing fears out uh, on the mound. Nobody had come to him or anything like that. And I was heading out there, and Joe West uh, meets me at the line, and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, what do you mean, what am I doing? And he said, well, why don't you turn around and see what I mean? I turned around. Not one of my teammates was out of the dugout. Oh, man. So not only was I embarrassed, <laughs> and I turned to Joe and I go, you know, you got to kick me out of the game. <laughs> I go, I'm not coming out of here and turn around and walk back to the dugout without getting kicked out of the game. <laughs> so I was, I was already out of the game, but Joe West ejected me from the game. When I went into the clubhouse, I aired the team out and I was hot. And about that time, all the reporters were led into the clubhouse. And they hear me screaming and hollering. And they come over and they want to know what's going on. And naturally, I didn't tell them I was mad at my teammates. Uh, you know, one I hear one of the guys say, you know, they find uh, Niedenfuhr and, and they find him. Uh, no, they find Niedenfuhr. Right, they find I, him 500 when, bucks, yeah. Right, and then that's when I made the statement that, uh, they ought to find that fat little Italian that ordered him throw the pitch. Right. And that's, that's, yeah, that's kind of what started the whole thing. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in an Italian family, so I, I had the right to call him a fat little Italian. <laughs> right. And then, you know, I, I know everybody, uh, is on this racial thing, but, uh, another Italian can call another Italian fat if he wants to. Oh, today, today, Kurt, today, that would have been blown you way. Be careful, don't you? It would have been blown way out of the water if that happened yeah, today with social media and, uh, the, the way things are these days that you can't say a darn thing without, uh, peeing somebody off. You know, that would have, that would have been, uh, forget about it. But, uh, folks, go to 
YouTube and see Tommy's uh, response to uh, Kurt's statement. And, uh, geez, you, you'll get a laugh. And while you're at it, also Google uh, Tommy's uh, little rant about Dave Kingman. And <laughs> if, you, if you Google, I tell you what, Bill, if, if everybody listening out there will go to Google and Google uh, Lasorda Rant. Oh, yeah. That, those are the two key words, Lasorda Rants. And they'll, they'll hear the rant. And, and the funny thing that nobody knows, uh, unless they hear it on a, in an interview like now, is that he didn't come out with this tape until about three weeks from that night. And it was the two antagonizers on the Dodgers, Jay Johnstone and Jerry Royce, that continued to send this one guy from the Dodger radio station into Lasorda's office on a daily basis until he finally he finally caught him one day where he spewed all of this out. <laughs> but it took three weeks for that to happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it didn't happen that night. No, it no. really didn't. All right. It really didn't. Boy. Uh, oh, it, it, it's yeah, unreal. Folks. That was fun. That was fun times in baseball. It was sort of rants. So, Kurt, I want to ask you before we go. We get, we're going to have to go. I'm going to invite you back because we have so much more to talk about. We have to talk about the World Series, uh, several other things that I wanted to talk about. Tell us about your your time in San Diego now and uh, what what you do uh, these days. Well, I started doing the reason I, I think the big reason I stayed in San Diego was that I started doing Padre radio and TV when I got out of the game. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, you know, I was affiliated with the ball club, uh, for quite a few years. I did the pre and post game show for a number of years, uh, on their flagship station. And then, you know what happens when, uh, when affiliates change. I mean, they're, uh, they're no, it's no different than any other business. Uh, management wants their own people to come in. And when, uh, when 760 was actually the, uh, KFMB was actually the, the radio affiliate when I first started doing, uh, the pre and post game show. And then, and then it went to 1090, which was a 50,000 watt AM station out here nice. uh, on the West Coast that had a huge reach. Yeah. And, it, uh, the guy that was the general manager of that station uh, really liked me and liked the job that I did at 760, and I, I continued to do the job at 1090. Uh, you know, the recent change to uh, to an, an FM station uh, with their affiliate affiliation with 90 as uh, the fan 97.3, uh, they they just made complete changes and and got rid of mostly everybody so it was uh you know i just enjoyed my kid uh is playing college baseball now uh at st cloud state up in uh, minnesota okay he might not be enjoying the weather as much as i am <laughs> right uh, but he's he's enjoying the game and i'm enjoying watching him uh, and you, you do you, know, you do a lot of charity watch. work out in san diego don't you kurt i do yeah uh, you know i'm affiliated with uh uh, with the Sophie Center out here in San Diego. Nice. Um, and I'm, I'm also affiliated with, uh, with golf tournaments that, uh, 
their charitable uh, contributions go to St. Jude Hospital, which I think is a fantastic uh, place to give your money to. You're exactly right. Well, Kurt, I tell you, it's been a pleasure. I thank you for taking the time out of your Sunday evening and spend it with us here back in New York on Sports Talk New York. Uh, I wish you all the best. I'm going to remain in touch with you, and we'll get you back on, and we'll continue our chat about uh, the great era that you played. Please do that. Uh, I'll come on anytime, Bill. Thank you so much. All right, Thanks Kurt. You, you have a good night, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. That's the great Kurt Bavacqua, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we will welcome in former big league backstop Jack Hyatt. So stick around, folks. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB. Well, I want to let you know I went out to City Field this week. It, it was a, really a beautiful, sun-splashed spring day. Temperatures in the 80s, uh, just the, the, the colors and, and uh, the action, just tremendous. Big new scoreboard from Uncle Steve Cohen it is amazing. There's new TVs in the stands. As I said, the colors so vibrant. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Maybe because I'm getting older, I don't know. Juan Soto hit one out into the Shea Bridge. Uh, I guess it's about 200, uh, sorry, 450 feet off Tyler McGill, and then Pete later launched one as well. And, uh, of course, prices went up again this year, ice cream, hot dog, soda, uh, stuff that I part- partook in. When a parking went up 10 bucks to $40, uh, th- that's a little bit of a drag. But uh, th- the pull and the lure of the game keeps us going out there. I mean, that's the magic that is baseball. I'm frequently reminded um, of Jim Bouton's quote from Ball Four that that says that one spends a good deal of his life gripping a baseball when it's really the other way around all the time. And uh, that's just a little food for thought before we talk to our next guest, folks. He played in the major leagues as a catcher from 64 to 72, most prominently as a member of the San Francisco Giants. After his playing career, he managed in the minors before serving as the Giants' director of player development. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight Jack Hyatt. Jack, good evening. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for thinking of me. I love love being on your show. Wonderful. Okay, Jack, I'm going to start you off asking you, you grew up in Southern California, who were your teams and your and your players when you were a kid? 
Well, my first uh, my first spring training, I was 18, and that was the first year that the Angels were a team. That was 61. And I have bubblegum cards on all those guys. It's <laughs> Steve Bilko and, and uh, Bob Serve and all these guys that were the Angels took at the original club. Right. Kozuski. All those guys were on this ball club, and I was uh, in dream world. I never dreamed I'd be a, get a chance to do that, and I went through their system and eventually played on a ball club with them. That is amazing, Jack. That yeah, you're you're rooted for the club. Uh, they signed you as a free agent in '61, and you made your mm-hmm. de- your debut in '64, and uh, you did well for the Los Angeles Angels. But uh, the San Francisco Giants is where I remember you uh, with Dick Dietz behind the plate, and uh, those days. And we're going to talk about that great era that you played in. But I want to ask you first off, when you came up to San Francisco in 1964, you had one sport coat to wear, right? Correct. Now, who took you aside and uh, tried to change that for you? Well, I was uh, walking through the lobby of the uh, Walter Fastoria. Okay. I, I, I ran into Willie Mays. Willie, Jack, you got a different jacket? You, know, you have to put a sport coat through that lobby. And I said, uh, no, I, I don't. I'm, I haven't got the finances to handle that. And he said, be in the lobby tomorrow, 9 a.m. And I said, well, all right. I don't know what the hell you wanted. So I went down there at 9. Harry took me in a cab. We went over to the garment district. We walked in there. He said, go out there and pick you up three coats and three slacks, Jack. And some gentlemen went with me, picked this stuff up. I say to myself, I can't afford this. What the <laughs> heck? You know, I get back. And when I get back, Willie goes, uh, the guy goes, okay, let's, let's finish this up, Willie. Willie signed a baseball for him, and that was it. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was, that was it. I, I was floored, and that's the kind of guy Willie was. Besides a great player, he was a great human being. What a great and story was, that is! Yeah, it's it's my favorite because I have to think the guy's wonderful. Okay, <laughs> that's for sure, Jack. That is for sure. Yeah. Now, yeah. as as we said, Dick Dietz was the starter, but he took a foul off his right hand, and you took over behind the plate. Yeah, and he uh, allowed me to get in there. The first guy that I, that was catching when I got there was Tommy Howler. You remember Tom Howler? Yeah, his brother was Bill yeah, Howler, uh, the umpire. Yeah, umpire, you got him. And mm-hmm. that was he was the catcher on the World Series when they played the Yankees, and the Giants played the Yankees. So he was the mainstay. Dicky and I, Dick Deets and I were were waiting for him to retire, <laughs> and it didn't happen. But eventually, we got our chances to play, and it was wonderful to be a giant. I'll tell you that. So, some great names, which we will talk about. Now, your hitting coach, who you gave a lot of credit to, was Hank Sauer. Now, people, Google Hank Sauer, uh, a, a very good major leaguer, two-time All-Star. He was 1952 National League Most Valuable Player. Now, he taught you a different nuance on hitting. Yeah, you know, the wind blows severely to right field in Candlestick. And, right. Uh, 
uh, he, Jack, take advantage of that. You've got a good swing. Start trying to work the ball into right center instead of pulling the ball. And by golly, you know, I wasn't playing regularly, so I needed to put the ball in play. And by golly, I, I got I got well for a week there. I thought I was going to be on the All Star team, but it didn't. <laughs> I came I came back to earth, unfortunately. But uh, Hank was a wonderful guy, and he worked hard for, with me. Now, in 1969, your first home run of the season. Do you remember that? Uh, who it was off? 69. Uh. Milt Pappas, My first, a great yeah, name, Milt Pappas, Milt, Milt Pappas. and that uh, I think yeah. McCovey was on base, and uh, the next day he hit two, I believe, and drove in seven runs off Denny Lamaster, who, of course, people may remember as being with the Houston Astros. Yep, yeah, sure was. You know, Bill, my first major league home run, I'm thrilled to say, was off of uh, Sandy Colfax. Oh, boy. And... Uh, I come around, uh, I was floating. It was in Los Angeles. My mother, my father, my brother were there. And that was my first year with the Giants. And I hit, I, I could not believe what happened. I've been watching this guy, L.A. boy. I got, I was a thrill. And I didn't hit many, but I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. What did he, th- what did he throw you, Jack? Do you remember? He threw me a fastball. Okay. And it was up in the plate. It was a, a two and zero count, so I knew I was going to get a fastball. I couldn't hit his curveball with seven bats. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Why bother? Well, just take it and look like you know what you're doing, and look for a fastball, and that's about what happened. Now you have the distinction, Jack, of uh, being on site for Hank Aaron's 500th homer. And you were also in uniform when three other guys hit their 500th home run, including your teammate Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, and Eddie Matthews. Correct. That's correct, folks. That is four of the first nine players to reach the 500 home run plateau. And uh, you were you were catching uh, when Mike McCormick served up Henry Aaron's 500th, right? I sure did. They blame me, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, of course, you know, the catcher. But I, I never forget that. Uh, he he hit a ball. The pitch prior was a fastball. I didn't want him throwing a fastball, and he shook to a fastball. He hit that ball up at near that restaurant there in the old ballpark in uh, Atlanta, about, yeah. about a half a mile. Yeah, and I went. Well, now it's three and two, so I go through all the signs, the ones I wanted. Nah, he wanted to throw him another fastball. Oh boy, I'm going to put some cotton in my ear. Something's going to go off here. <laughs> Bang! Hits off that scoreboard, and that was the end of that tune. That was his 500. And what a celebration they had for him. His mom, his wife, all of them were on the field. Little, and, did, little did we know, Jack, he'd go on to hit 200 more. <laughs> Right? You know what I, I often said? If Willie could have played in Atlanta, oh, he might have been the first guy. Yeah, he yeah. might have been the first guy to get a lot of uh, to challenge Babe Ruth. He, yeah. he would have challenged him. But the ball carried in Atlanta. It didn't go anywhere in San Francisco unless you hit it the right field. Nope. That's one of the great uh, arguments, one of the great observations about baseball is switching Henry Aaron and uh, Willie Mays, sort of like uh, – 
having DiMaggio and Williams switch, having uh, DiMaggio yep. hitting the green monster and Ted Williams hitting the short porch in Yankee Stadium. That that would have yeah, been fireworks, sure. too. <laughs> Very true. That's, that's great. Two uh, great thoughts there. That would have been wonderful. Love to see it. Now, now let's talk about your teammates with the Giants now. You had Willie Mays, of course. You had Stretch McCovey, Juan Marichal, mm-hmm. Gaylord Perry, and later on you played uh, with Nolan Ryan. Tell us a little bit, Jack, from being behind the plate about the great late Gaylord Perry. Well, uh, you know, they, people claim that he threw spitters, okay? <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, but I think I gave it away when I had windshield wipers on my mask. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll never forget as long as I live. We were playing the Mets at home. Gaylord is pitching. And the day before, I was on first base and Doug Harvey was the umpire, grabbed me and said, listen, if I want the ball tomorrow, Give me the ball immediately. I got a thing out of commissioner's office. We're going to get this guy for throwing that spitter. <laughs> so now I go in the dugout and say, Gaylord, we're going to have a problem tomorrow. <laughs> and he said, uh, just get the ball back to me somehow. I said, okay. So we start the game. He's not using any. Okay. Now we got bases loaded in the first inning at Ed Cranepool. He gets uh, two and two count on him. And I know, I said, here it comes. I knew it. Here it comes. And here the bottom fell out of that. And, and he started to sweat. <laughs> oh my, he let out a yell. That ball dropped to a foot and a half. I caught it. I grabbed it to my right arm and I went to throw it back to Gaylord and Doug grabbed my arm. Oh no. That's a big no-no, right? Yeah. But I, I just used, used my wrist and flipped it out there, rolled out there and he grabbed it. And no harm, no foul. So now I go to the dugout, and Herman Franks, the manager, said to me, no, it's uh, Bill Whirl. Bill Whirl said, Jack, I want you to to go in the clubhouse and, and, and pretend you're hurt. Are you hurt? I said, no, I'm not hurt. You want to, you want to sit, what do you want to do? Are you going to punish the umpire? And I said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, I don't, if, if you want to take me out of the game, take me out of the game, but I want to play. Mm-hmm. So he he gave in, let me finish out the game. But uh, that was a, a amazing thing about that that spitter. Boy, he he perfected it. He worked on it in a mirror. To he had it li- at different spots he could go get it. And when they took away him going to his mouth, it became worse. He used KY gel. And he <laughs> hit him all over his uniform. And he would reach down in the back of his hand and get some. And he reached up. He couldn't have made it down with them checking like this. No. They would have got him. Yeah. He, he, he used it a lot. Okay. And uh, Bob Shaw taught him that pitch to work on it for a double play only. But he saw how good it was. He threw it every pitch after a while. <laughs> that is great. Yeah. That is he's great. A, he's, he's a, he was a beauty. I, I admire him. He was a tough guy. He, he took that ball. 
every fourth day. He, he was did. ready to go. That was when we had a four-man rotation. What, what a career, and, uh, the great Gaylord Perry. Yeah. I, I have to ask Eddie Cranepool about that, Jack, because I'm, yes, I'm going to have do. him. I'm going to have him on the program late, later this summer. <laughs> Uh, he's he's coming out with a book, Eddie, and I'm going to ask him about uh, Gaylord Perry and the Spitter and see what he says. Oh, and I'll let do. I'll let you know. Yeah, please. I'd love to hear what he says. His thoughts on that. We we're speaking with Jack Hyatt tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now you once said, Jack, that the most intimidating guy on the mound that you ever faced was was not Carlton, not anybody, but maybe his teammate, the great Bob Gibson. Absolutely. Bob, Bob played, pitched the ball game. It was his game. Don't mess around. Right. Uh, don't, hurry up and get in the box. Uh, don't dig your foot in. All these things would be a knockdown the next pitch if you did any of those. You took too much time. This guy, he hit a ball hard. God bless you. He'd knock you down. <laughs> and he was a tough individual. He took took charge of a game. His temple, everything. He took charge of the game. And you get a Billy Williams used to hit him pretty good. But it took a guy like Billy to hit the ball hard off him. Yeah. But no one else had good luck off Bob. Bob his records are unbelievable. Yeah, how about how about folks one point one two ERA. How about that? Oh, see see if you see that these days. I I don't think you will. And uh, oh. that's the story on the great Bob Gibson, folks. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, Jack, about your your skippers that you played for. You mentioned Herman Franks. Oh. You, uh, yes, you played, wonderful. You played for Gene Mock. Of course, Leo yes. DeRocher, Harry yes. the Hat Walker, Del Rice. Yes. What did you yes. garner from these gentlemen that uh, impressed you to uh, inculcate their particular styles of management when you manage in the minor leagues? Well, you know, all of those guys had could could come and put their arm around you and talk to you. And this is important. They wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily go to the regulars. They'd go to the, the irregulars. The guys who are not in the lineup every day. Put their arm around to listen, keep yourself ready. I think you can really help us in this in this season. And they would do that and keep you involved. You wouldn't feel like you were a foreigner. And uh all of them were wonderful. The first one was Bill Rigney uh, when I was ah, with the Angels. Yeah. Bill, the wonderful gentleman. He used to take, come out in the outfield when I was shagging, put his arm around me and talk to him. Jackie, he called me Jackie. And uh, uh, a wonderful man. And Herman Franks was a delight, just a delight, great to me. Leo was tough, okay? <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. Leo, on catching, you better call the right pitch. And you got to look at him every pitch before you call the pitch. He would sit just perfectly still, looking straight ahead. And if you didn't look over there, he'd scream at you. So I, you catch a nine-inning game with your eye on him and then call the pitch. Mm-hmm. Pretty tough. Yeah. Pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. Now, he, he did that, Jack, with, with somebody like uh, Ferguson Jenkins even, you think? He would he would call maybe one pitch a game, but he did that so he made sure you knew he ran the game. Okay, yeah. He would, he, he would get your attention. Listen, I know you're calling the game. He's throwing a shutout, but I got something for you. You better look over here. So you you got used to doing that, and 
I've had other managers do that when they have a feel. They, they see something that maybe I didn't see. I'm, I'm welcome to it. But uh, Fergie, unbelievable. He he was had just a phenomenal year in 70. Another one. Fantastic. Yeah. As I said, yeah. Jack, the era that you played in, some tremendous names and tremendous Hall of Famers. And I want to ask you about your time in the Giants front office. After you retired as a minor league manager, you spent 16 years in the San Francisco Giants front office as the director of player development, and you actually advised them to sign a young catcher by the name of Buster Posey. Isn't that nice? I, you know, I'll tell you what. I think every scout that the Giants had went in a what? Buster. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it, Brian and Sabian wanted me to see him personally. So I've been in there for three ball games. And I, I told him, I said, uh, this young man's going to be a star. Uh, if he, we get to him, we'll be lucky. And we were like six or seven in the draft list. We got, we got him. And God almighty. He didn't have spend any time in the minor leagues. This boy went from AAA to the big leagues. His first full year in professional baseball, he not only went there and caught every day, he had forced. Tell me about that. Maybe yeah. Johnny Bench. But there's just a few of them that came through that could do these things. And we go to the World Series with this boy. Right. And women. And a tremendous kid. Tremendous, and I, I ran out of good things to say about what I saw. But well, I, I knew it was going to be expensive, but they they coughed it up for him. As as you said, to, as you said to Sabian, Jack, you got yourself a Hall of Famer, and you you probably are right. <laughs> but you know, uh, yes, I, I would be a, a remiss if he's not. I'll tell you that. He, <clears throat> I, you know, being a player development director. You get a big thrill out of your kids getting to the big leagues that come through the system. And uh, through those 10, 12, or 14, our, our, uh, our ball club was about 85 to 95% uh, system players. And that was a thrill. You know, it, it's hard to do that anymore. No, that, that, look, that's a great at, credit, a great credit to you, Jack. Well, not necessarily just the scouts. The scouts did a fabulous job. Mm-hmm. My all the, the coaches and managers in the system did their job, and it worked out really, really well. And what a thrill it was to be a part of that. We're speaking with Jack Hyatt tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, another guy that came through the system during your tenure there with the Giants was uh, we'll call him the Kung Fu Panda because that's what we know him as. Tell, tell us the story I, I heard, Jack, about Pablo Sandoval and the pizzas. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful. We had a, it was down the spring training in Scottsdale, and <clears throat> each staff member had curfew. We took turns. It came to my turn. So I go down there at quarter to 12, and I'm walking down through there with my list, and... I'm up there. I'm, I, I, this guy rushes by me. He's got two big pizza, full size, and he's heading for a room. I went, you know, at this time, we're working hard to keep his weight down. I'm right. telling you. Right. We got him in rubber suits. We got him running in the morning and then running in the afternoon. <clears throat> so I go with that. I said, what room is that? Right up here. Okay. 
Sandoval's room. Knock on the door. Here he is. Oh, he sees me. I go, listen, you pay him. And then he's taking it back. <laughs> you can't keep doing this. This right. is crazy. So I jump on him some. He goes back and we close the door. And me and the pizza guy are walking down. I go, let me ask you something. Does he give you a call often? Well, the way he does it is, if he doesn't call, we bring him. <laughs> <laughs> it's auto, it's automatic, right? <laughs> don't, don't tell me that. Oh, God. What a treat he was. He's a fascinating kid. He always had a grin. He loves the game of baseball. He played hard, and he... He overachieved. He always had weight problems. Yeah. We tried to get him to lose weight one time. He couldn't hit after that. We made him get fat again. <laughs> that, that is what a, what a great story. That, that, uh, it's true. It's true as heck. It really is. It's true. All that stuff. But, what I want to, what I want to ask you about, Jack, is, is, uh, the way the game is heading these days. I mean, the, the big thing now is you see the umpire come out from behind the plate and point to his watch. There is a clock violation on the pitcher and, uh, it, the, the game is, is heading in, in a different direction these days. You, you have bases. Speaking of pizzas, the game, the, the bases are like pizza boxes out there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, I like that. That's exactly what they look like, too. Exactly, right. So, so well, you know what? Go ahead, Bill, Jack. This is interesting. That's an interesting part. Tell you what. When we played, every once in a while, there was an umpire who thought 60,000 people were coming to watch him umpire. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Instead of the players. All right. Every once in a while, you run into a guy like that. Well, now we've turned the spotlight on the umpire completely. Yeah. It all goes to him. He's got in charge. Those guys are in charge of everything. A close play, it's redone. You can't do this. You're going to say, Mother, may I, to do this or do that. It's all, it's just orchestrated. And I'm going to tell you what, putting a timer on these hitters and these pitchers, it, the rhythm of the game is different. Yes. There used to be a yes. rhythm to this game. There would be a, a time to gather your thoughts. Now, yes, they're shortening the games. Half hour, I understand. That's great. But last time I checked, you got a group of families coming in there that can maybe make it twice a year because of the expense. Right. All right? Now, why do we want to hurry up and get it over with? What is what is the hurry? What is the hurry? Is it because of commercials? What are we doing here? But the World Series was a travesty in length per game. However, these games are, are run... You see a guy swinging pitches not close to home plate, over their head, mm -hmm. on the other batter blocks, uh, and they got pitchers that are trying to, they're running out of breath, pitching. It's like, put a, put a, a, a bag of balls out there and let him throw. Right. Instead of, yeah, it's, I, 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 I don't like it, okay? Right. I don't, I don't like it. I, it's not the same. It's not a rhythm. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're not focusing on the players. The players, you can't, these are causing ejections. Yeah, Pachado didn't even get a chance to swing a bat one day. He That's got ejected right. for not getting in the box in the first place. 
they're, but then people come to see Machado play. Right. Now, he's gone. Not good, yeah. Jack. No, I agree with you 100%. Well, Jack, I, don't, I just. It's been a pleasure. I thank oh, you. I thank, thank you, you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us back east here in New York. <laughs> Again, I'm going to ask Eddie Cranepool about uh, Gaylord Perry, and uh, I get, I'll tell you what he says, and we'll get the review on that. I wish you the best, the best of health Thank out you, there sir. in Oregon. To you and your lovely wife, take care, and we'll keep in touch with you. Thank you very much, Bill, and enjoyed it very much. That's Jack Hyatt, ladies and gentlemen. That will do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Kurt Pavacqua and Jack Hyatt, my engineer, Brian Graves, and you for joining us. See you next on April 30th, folks. Till then, be well, be safe. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.